0: Before get on to the teachings properly. you um, can keep it. So mentioned at the beginning of the retreat uh, that in many ways the the, the, the retreat happening at all uh, is has been um, some somewhat of a miracle for uh, lots of different reasons, and um, that Robert had. Uh, we had initially gambled on uh, th- gamble that his employers would give him the time, you know, the time off work to come, and then it turned out that they were only giving him a partial time to come. And then Kirsten uh, heroically uh, sacrificed a, a full retreat to sit this retreat fully and joined with the teaching. Um, and so it's been a bit of a patchwork in, in that sense. But it's it's happening, and now, uh, well in fact, tomorrow uh, the time has already come for Robert to say goodbye, as his employers uh, demand his services uh, on Monday morning. I, s- I assume <laughs> yes, Monday morning. So um, so he will be leaving us about lunchtime tomorrow, after his interviews, and um, just again. I really want to say how grateful, how absolutely hugely grateful I, I am, and I think we all are, um, to you for being here and using your holiday time to, to do that, and and uh, and also f- to Kirsten for for stepping in. It's just the, the retreat couldn't have happened, so this kind of patchwork of uh, of uh, tag team teachers was was the only way this could have happened, and so we're really really grateful to Robert and everything that you've brought here and your spirit and your knowledge and, and also to Kirsten, um, very much that willingness to step in and offer and share and be there for everyone. So uh, Robert will slip out quietly with belly full after, after lunch yesterday, tomorrow. Um, <laughs> so it was too much emptiness of time, you get a little bit <laughs> confused. Um, Do you want to say anything? You don't have to. You you do. Uh, Good, yeah. So I guess
1: I wanted to, um, yeah, just say that meeting with you all these last two weeks um, and seeing your practice and your patience and your, um, your perseverance, as than...
0: Actually, just to echo that last point, um, you all probably know how it is on retreats. We have, I think, four days left, uh, something like that. And uh, in if this was a week retreat, that would be this would be like, you know, really towards the end. The mind starts sensing it's towards the end. Um, papancha ready to bounce. <laughs> hindrances don't give a damn, you know, they, they'll they be coming and going, you're up and down, you're wherever you are in your little or big wiggles, you know. Um, as Robert said, ke- ke- keeping steady, keeping going, this is so much a part of, of the art, the <laughs> fundamentals of the art of this practice, the fundamentals of the art of any practice, the fundamentals of the art of staying in relationships, staying with a project that you love. It's 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 so crucial. Um, so how is your intention? How's that doing? What am I believing? Am I am I again this th- thing we've come back to several times? Am I am I buying into what the seeds of the hindrances have spawned? And then it's a story, and it's very very convincing, and then my intention is wobbling. Uh, they're seductive, and they seduce us. Uh, the hindrances of Papancha seduce us into believing this or that are so uh, so convincing um so these are precious days you know these whatever it is four days are in precious days, precious opportunity to practice to go further to learn more about this territory, but also everything around this territory that we've talked about, my my personal relationship with desire and intention and steadiness and form and all that. Um, So, again, once more the invitation to to work, play, enjoy and find out. Okie doke. So, today um, we will talk about the sixth jhana, which the Buddha didn't call the sixth jhana, uh, but called the realm of infinite consciousness. Um, The realm of infinite consciousness, sphere or the base of infinite consciousness. And hoping for him to shed great light on what's involved here, as he goes through the stages, describing a, a practitioner practicing, the thought, the thought occurs to him, after he's gone through first four jhana's fifth jhana, thought occurs to him, what if I, with the complete transcending of the, the sphere, the realm of the infinitude of space, realizing that consciousness is infinite, were to enter and remain in the realm of the infinitude of consciousness. Without jumping at the realm of the sphere of the infinitude of consciousness, he enters and remains in the sphere of this infinitude of consciousness. He sticks with that theme, develops it, pursues it, and establishes himself firmly in it. So there's not a lot of <laughs> 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 not a lot to go on there other than stick with it <laughs> Develop it, pursue it, establish it. And it's something to do with consciousness, and again, it's very, very big. <laughs> okay, what is what is this? What's he pointing to here? What's involved in this in this uh, this perception attainment, this opening? This this. Um, I would say the principal, the principle, the central feature, if you like, the m- is awareness knowing itself. Awareness knowing itself. It sometimes I've heard it described as actually it's awareness knowing the infinitude of space. In other words, it's the consciousness of the fifth jhana. Um, and there's a s- there's certainly a way that it can seem like that. But I think I've c- I've come more to think that the primary the primary feature is just awareness knowing itself, and then that there's an inf- infinity infin- infinite expanse of that but either way but i think uh, awareness knowing infinite space or well the awareness that knows infinite space or the awareness knowing itself i tend to think the the second there the awareness knowing itself is primary i should say right now that i use the words awareness and consciousness completely interchangeably um over the last mm, 30 30 40 45 years or so uh, there's there's been you know different kind of mm, not really trends but people some some people have at times drawn those two words apart and referred to consciousness as something that's much more smaller it's one of the aggregates it's impermanent it's unsatisfactory it's narrow it's uh, tied to objects etc and awareness as something uh, vast, free, even ultimate. So they give awareness a capital A, etc. I don't ultimately buy buy into that, so I I think it is actually clearer to just use the words interchangeably, awareness and consciousness, and then we get different, I have to explain, different um senses or perceptions of the nature of awareness at different times. And they have different, what we might say, relative truth value. Anyway, all we need to know for now is, I will use those words completely, completely synonymously and interchangeably. So awareness knowing itself. What's happening here is there's a kind of honing in, tuning to and honing in on awareness, on consciousness. Consciousness hones in on consciousness. Awareness hones in on awareness. The Pali word is vinnana. And there isn't, by the way, a distinction in Pali between a word for consciousness and a word for awareness. Um, uh, vinyana is, I think the grammatical term in Pali, it's a verbal noun. I think that's the correct word. So it literally translates as knowing. So awareness or consciousness or knowing are synonymous terms. Okay, what is what does awareness mean? It me in in Buddhist uh, understanding, it means knowing. Um, so it doesn't mean knowing something. I know something. I'm clever because I know what the square root of two is to eight decimal places. It means knowing. It means well being conscious. It means uh, the recognition of something, the perception of something. So. there is this kind of, again and again in this state, there is this almost a returning to and a kind of locking in on the sense of knowing. Um, And sometimes, depending on how you access it, you can use, again, these little grains, little tinctures of whispers, internal whispers in the mind, to direct the mind and help support it uh, to, to kind of lock in on that primary nimitta. So the primary nimitta is Consciousness. The primary nimitta is consciousness knowing itself. And you can use these little tinctures just like knowing, knowing, or consciousness, or whatever it is, just to help very, very subtle, help support the mind in its attuning to, uh, finding, and then sustaining its focus on the sense of knowing. There's a very subtle whisper internally to direct the attention to the sense of knowing. I would say, uh, this is a long, long debate in, in, um, certainly in Buddhist history, in in the Mahayana as well as the Theravada and the Vajrayana, etc. I would say, and it is probably a debate outside of Buddhist uh, history as well, Buddhist philosophy and psychology, but I would say consciousness of consciousness is an integral aspect uh, of consciousness. In other words, to be conscious Involves the, the subtle, at least the subtle kind of recognition that one is conscious in the moment. That, otherwise, a, a machine can be aware of this or that, but a machine doesn't have consciousness. It doesn't recognize itself, so it doesn't have that feeling of being aware. So I would say, there's been a long debate about this, but in a way I think it's a little bit ridiculous. It's just part of the definition of consciousness. That consciousness in any moment, is conscious of itself. do you understand what I mean by that usually um, so that's what we mean when we say this person is conscious or uh, or that machine is not conscious or "I was conscious, etc usually that sense of being conscious is not something that uh that it's sort of very much in the mix of a moment of consciousness. There's much more attention to what we're conscious of, the object, this or that thing that I'm paying attention to, this or that object of consciousness. But to some degree, some subtle degree, mixed in with any m- in any moment of consciousness, and as part of what defines it as consciousness, as I said, is some small degree of a sense that there is consciousness right now, and and it goes with the subject I am conscious this is conscious. Um, now that subtle sense, that subtle portion, if you like, or strand within co- uh, uh, consciousness, can be amplified. And again, how do things get amplified? They get First they need to be noticed, then they need to be attuned to, and that attuning to what we notice amplifies it. In other words, in the mix of what consciousness is in any moment, by noticing this uh sense of being conscious, this awareness of awareness, by noticing it uh, and tuning to it repeatedly amplifies that sense within consciousness, until eventually the relative balance can go from mostly uh, mostly I am conscious of the object, whatever the object is I am paying attention to, until, uh, and very little uh, sense of the consciousness of consciousness, um, with Noticing it, tuning to it, and, and the amplification that will happen naturally with that—that that can start to reverse, and it starts to be that. Um, eventually, all, all the attention, all the consciousness, is the consciousness of consciousness. Does that make sense? Um, so there's a there's this kind of you know, lock effect. You know, lock canals, water when they do that. Do you have that in Israel? Yeah, because um, it's a desert, you don't know, so, <laughs> <laughs> um, like that, yeah. Um, can you just either look at something right now, or feel a body sensation, or listen to the heating sound? So there's the object, the sound, the sensation, the visual object, whatever it is. And at the same time that's there, can you get a sense that there is awareness there? You're conscious of being conscious. Can you be aware of the awareness there? It's mixed in with it. So this I- is a beginning of something. It's quite a hard thing to stay with. It's, it's a subtle thing. So we're talking about as we go into the jhanas, everything gets subtler and subtler, but you can p- train the mind to, to pick that up and stay with it and amplify it. Um, but we're really talking about in the present moment, this, this moment, this moment, this moment of awareness and getting the sense of awareness of awareness in the present moment. So this is, this is key to the whole thing. Um, it's subtle, and so some of you might not have been able to get a sense. That that's that would be very normal. Some of you might have practice already doing this. Either way, fine. Um, but we're talking about a subtle sense, and therefore it needs practice to develop that. To to stay tuned to notice it, to stay tuned to it, to kind of uh, develop it. Um, and this. Uh there, as I'll explain later, there's, there's many ways into this, but this, w- this sense of consciousness can then expand. Noth- this lock effect. Um, there's no other. All the other objects are kind of filtered out of it, and it becomes just an infinite consciousness, infinitely expansive consciousness. And h- here, now again, we're really talking about wow. There's, there's, uh, it's so different. Uh, a perception so different and opening than we usually have as human beings. So I think I shared much earlier in the retreat, someone coming in for an interview and saying, oh yeah, I think I got into the sixth jhana the other day and it was all very like, yeah, um, it, c- it can't be. This We're really talking about something that's I- immensely striking and very, very impacting on the consciousness, on the, on the sense of being. So it's a deep realm of existence. A deep—that's uh, what that word ayatana means. Explain a deep realm, a deep dimension of the cosmos. Something divine there for sure. That's uh, a sense. It's very intense. So it's—it's uh, it's quite an intense experience. Um, electric, almost I would say, consciousness moment after moment, focusing on itself with nothing else there, and just an infinite expanse of this. It is electric, it is compelling, it is intense, usually. And there is something in that, it is almost like it is sufficient unto itself. It is just consciousness, there is nothing else, and this consciousness just knows itself and it pervades infinitely, and it has this kind of transcendent quality of being. to It's sufficient unto itself. It does not need anything. Just consciousness knowing itself forever. Eternally sufficient unto itself. Eternally transcendent. Eternal in the sense of lasting forever. So again, um, it is, as the Buddha calls it, a nisarana, nisaranam, an escape. Um, it's another dimension of, of the cosmos, another dimension of being. It's another realm. There is a freedom from everything else there, freedom from the phenomenal material world, Uh, a release, a letting go of all else. There is just nothing else there but this pure consciousness, knowing itself, sufficient unto itself, infinitely expansive. And the objects are filtered out, everything else gone. So, I have mentioned a couple of times on this retreat, and I know some of you are familiar in practice uh, with what I call the, the, the practice of the vastness of awareness. So it is actually worth lingering on this and comparing the two, because they can sound very familiar. They are both infinitely vast consciousness or infinitely vast awareness, um, Totally, both of them totally unperturbed by the arising or passing of phenomena, of, of other things. Both of them, uh, there is a sense that they last forever, that they are eternal in that sense of eternal uh, forever duration, um, forever undisturbed, forever radiant, forever peaceful. So they bo- there is clearly some similarity and people might... Uh, well, it is good to distinguish them. Um, Because we've just said there's a letting go of of, uh, everything else in in the sixth jhana, in this infinite consciousness. The vastness of awareness too, if we just compare, is also a letting go. It's quite difficult to pinpoint, actually, what the differences are. But I would say that the vastness of awareness, yes, it's a letting go and it has all those other similarities that I just mentioned in common with this infinite consciousness, this realm of infinite consciousness. But the vastness of awareness also, it it more includes phenomena, objects, experiences. It's more inclusive. And particularly what it does is, It includes and is even accessed by way of uh, its relationship with phenomena, with other experiences. So it's their relationship with the vastness of awareness. That's the key difference. That's one of the key elements, including what we might call their substantive relationship. In other words, as as I think I mentioned one, when one practices the vastness of awareness and there's different stages of it as as it moves into its deeper stages there can be very much this beautiful sense that uh, not only as it was earlier in earlier stages do phenomena seem to arise out of this vastness of awareness this beautiful peaceful radiant and divine Space of awareness. Not only do they rise out and and uh, die back in; they're born and they out of and die back into this source. Um, after it gets deeper, they also it also feels like their very substance is awareness. So there's a sense that the the, the substantial nature of all phenomenon is this. Awareness is this vast divine awareness. So that the vastness of awareness also feels like a freedom, but it's a freedom with and within appearances and uh, experiences and phenomena. It's a view or a way of looking or a perspective on phenomena. It's a view, a way of looking, a perspective on phenomena, experience, on this life as we as we experience this life. It's a different view, sense of this world and this life. Uh, whereas the sixth jhana is something transcendent. It's beyond. It's gone beyond this world. The... Infinite consciousness is more intense uh, than the vastness of awareness, which has a sort of almost infinitely deep ease to it. There is a real intensity in in the sixth jhana, and it is a much rarer state for people to access, for a number of reasons. Sometimes because it takes a lot to sustain that intensity, or even build up enough intensity that one would find oneself in such a state. It's also much rarer because one can open to the vastness of awareness. Or the vastness of awareness can open up for one uh, from much more common ways of practicing insight meditation. In fact, if we just practice insight meditation with a more open awareness and then just aware and let things come and go, let things come and go, it will start to open up the beginning stages of the vastness of awareness. So that quite a number of uh, Experience insight meditators will have opened to some degree to some level to to the vastness of awareness if you 're interested in the vastness of awareness we mentioned it a couple of times on this retreat there's uh, there 's a whole chapter i think in in seeing the freeze on it it in a way depends on maybe the three chapters that come before that but it 's there It should be very very clear, really really worth uh, that opening and the the modicum of trouble it takes to open it. so worth it. Um, There's also, I think, uh, four guided meditations. I know some of you know this. I think I did years and years ago. They each have the title, The Space of Awareness, and they've each got a different subtitle, and they're guided meditations of different ways of opening up the vastness of awareness, if I remember. So, it's a different state. It's not the sixth jhana. You could say it's related. Definitely, definitely worth, uh, Visiting and opening to, and putting putting some time in there, and being touched by that, um, and the beauty of that, and that, and the, the liberative and healing qualities of that. But r- but rarer uh, the the sixth jhana, the infinite consciousness, is something rarer. Um, they're also slightly different in their, as I said, in their after effects on perception. Again, it. it In the vastness of awareness uh, you could get up and go for a walk and see a stone and the substance of the stone is that awareness, is the divine awareness, is this vastness of awareness. Or that, that stone is somehow the appearance of the stone is the play of this awareness. It's really hard to put your finger on but I think be more more accurate to say in the infinite consciousness with the after-effect on on perception, a phenomenon or a stone or an object feels more as if it has consciousness. Not so much that its substance is awareness, but that it has consciousness. Even if it has consciousness as part of a a cosmic consciousness. Does this make sense at all? It might be some very abstruse differences if you're not familiar with all this but okay. which bit yeah so i would say in so now distinguishing in the after effects of perception between the t- between these two states the vastness of awareness and the infinite consciousness the after effect of perception and the vastness of awareness will will be something akin to that the stone the appearance of the stone feels like its substance is awareness, or that the appearance of the stone is the play of awareness. Infinite consciousness can feel as if th- this, this, the after effect on perception is more, is more perhaps moving towards the stone has consciousness. Um, and even if that the stone's consciousness is part of a, 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 a much more unified cosmic consciousness or divine consciousness, so, it's hard to articulate. I've I'm I'm never really heard anyone even attempt to m- make these articulations, but um, that's sort of that's my current thinking about it. Both of them, though, are un- undisputedly mystical senses of divinity. And it's, it's very often the case that a person will start using words like divine, even if they've never in their life used those words before. Actually, either of these two uh, experiences, the vastness of awareness or the infinite consciousness, um, one really feels as if uh, there is something of of, of a divine order here, or something of the nature of the divine that is being revealed to one, that is being opened to to one. This is God's awareness, Uh, can be the sense. But as we said, the the sixth jhana, the infinite consciousness, is more purely transcendent. It's really a realm beyond, beyond phenomena. I would say that both of these experiences are immeasurably precious, immeasurably precious, I I would say. And I would also say that they're part of our human birthright. As human beings, this is part of what what is available to us, and what is what is our human birthright to to know this, to open to this, to be touched by these uh, these levels of being, these dimensions of being, these openings, they're available, and particularly with infinite consciousness, it brings such you know with repeated exposure, it brings such a different sense of existence. Such a sense of adding or opening up, a sense of the dimensionality of existence of the cosmos of being. There are also many other. I won't go into them now, but there are many kind of variations and sort of satellite states around around the, the sixth jhana, um, especially when we practice with the eyes open, and especially in terms of their after effects on perception. I just want to again take a slight detour not detour but um again just a comments about desire is so so important you know it would be un- it w- I think it would be really understandable if someone with repeated sort of going in and out of of this infinite consciousness and really f- being touched by it and opened by it and opening to it and assimilating that opening and that sense and that perception, assimilating that into their sense of existence. It would be really understandable if such a person were to kind of then look back um, and um, think to themselves that life knowing that realm uh, is so much richer and so much... Uh, richer in dimensionality than life not knowing that realm, what they remember from not knowing that realm. It's almost like, how, how, how would I not, how did I live that way? It would be very, very understandable. And they might also think, I wouldn't want to. I wouldn't want to live without knowing this, without that opening, without that sense of dimensionality, that they would feel to them in almost retrospect as if that was a kind of impoverishment, or they were being uh, something was taken out of life, an impoverished life in some in some sense or felt like life without that would, in some way, not that they want to escape there into this transcendent realm, but in some way, maybe this person would feel like life without that is, in a subtle way, less less worthwhile. That would be very understandable as a view or a feeling. Um, (laughs) But it's tricky, isn't it? It's tricky. I'm hesitant even saying all this stuff, and I don't know how it lands because uh, it's loaded, and it's loaded because of many, many things that we've talked about on this retreat so far, in terms of desire, in terms of goals, in terms of all that, in terms of what I said yesterday about living in a in a, in a Western culture that, let's say, post the Protestant Reformation, or starting with the Protestant Reformation, has actually, w- w- beginning with the Protestant Reformation, there, there has been this kind of... Um, Deconstructing and dissolution of any agreed-upon idea of what makes life worthwhile, and what's, what's, uh, etc. So it's a long. Don't underestimate how influenced we are, not by Buddhist history so much, but by Western history. So things that happened in, you know, in relation to the medieval theology influence us today. Um, way more often than people realize. And so something happened, starting with the Protestant Reformation, that it fractured, it fragmented, and dissip- d- dissolved any sense of agreed upon idea of what was uh, holy. And that influences very much what anyone can say to anyone else about what is worthwhile or what one should desire, etc. So all this is kind of. Here, when we talk about such states it 's loaded it 's charged in all kinds of uh, in all kinds of ways can potentially painful in all kinds of ways, uh, etc potentially enticing in all kinds of ways so the usual insight meditation way of teaching, or at least it used to be um, usual insight meditation teaching and and you 've probably come across is not about experiences right it's just, it 's just just don't try and get experiences. Just notice what what experiences there are. Just be mindful. Just notice what comes up and, and what goes and um, you know to say something or this person saying or me saying, you know this is what did I say uh, something that you know how precious they were. And even to say that is a little bit loaded. It's implying something. It invites, it opens the door for the pain of striving, the pain of desire that we've revisited uh, several times on this retreat. So the usual way, or what used to be, I don't know if it even is anymore, but the usual way of teaching insight meditation is a lot easier. Because it effectively just closes the door on any kind of striving like that. Just all you have to do is, is be aware Whatever comes, whatever goes, it is all the same. Good experiences, bad experiences, remarkable experiences, boring experiences. All you have to do is just be aware. And when you are not aware, you just notice it and you come back. And there is r- there's such value in that, way, in that way of practicing and that way of teaching. It is a lot easier. Uh, it is a lot easier, I think, for both the student and the teacher. Um, when you start saying, oh, this is really precious, or that is really precious, or this experience is... You know, then you you start running risks. But there's risks both ways. If you go just into the mode of um, uh, experiences are not important, there there are risks. There are significant risks. And all this again is tied into desire. And what do I desire? And why do I desire what I desire? What's going on with me? What's authentic desire? What's deep desire? What's involved in my desire, and how we teach um, regarding such experiences, such openings, such perceptions. You know, if one goes into an interview and reports such an experience, and and what comes back is a is a response. What comes back from the teacher is a response of sounds. Sounds good but it's just another experience it's impermanent let it go don't get attached um, so w- that response itself is a kind of teaching it's set in a framework again that needs to be at least semi coherently set nestled within a whole idea of what l- awakening and liberation is and what insight is yeah so again we get this tracing down of what what uh, tracing down or Feeding down from a top level conception into how I'm responding to this or that experience in any moment, or someone else reporting this or that experience in any moment. So if I say immeasurably precious, it's loaded, you know. Um, but it's tricky. And I think. Um, it would be understandable if a person did report such a sense of, uh, almost like I can't, I can't almost imagine life without that the sense of that kind of dimensionality to it. It would be understandable. Um, they may have some work to do, uh, but it, 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 m- it would potentially be understandable. So such a different sense of existence, such a different sense of the cosmos, of the dimensionality of being that comes with this. And we, as I said, assimilate that, incorporate that into our being in addition to the usual sense of consciousness. It doesn't then replace it uh, 100% of the time. It just becomes available sometimes. It's a completely other sense of consciousness, it's a completely other dimension. But our usual sense is still available. And the usual sense of consciousness is it is mine and it is somehow in here, or usually in here, in the head. Um, and from here, in my head, it is somehow sensing out. Um, and it is associated with um, with this materiality, meaning this uh, physical matter, this physical organism. That is the usual agreed upon uh, idea, but also sense of consciousness in our culture. So that's still available, but other senses become become available as well. It's not the case that this infinite consciousness is the ultimate nature of consciousness. It's not. Okay, and even just labeling it as the sixth jhana would would you know, strongly suggest that it can't be. Um, nor is it ultimately the true nature of mind, nature of awareness, nature of consciousness. Um, uh, is, nor, is, nor is the vastness of awareness. So, neither of these are the true or ultimate nature of awareness or consciousness. They're not the final truth regarding awareness, regarding consciousness. Also, I don't think they really, uh, such an experience doesn't really prove um, uh, the possibility of a consciousness, uh, let's say, without or not contained by matter. So that's the experience, there's this consciousness, it's an immaterial realm, right? We're now in the immaterial realms, arupa jhanas, arupa ayatanas, and there's just this infinite suf- consciousness, sufficient unto itself. And it would s- the experience would seem to suggest is that here's a consciousness without, without um, uh, being contained in matter. Um, to me, it, it doesn't prove that. And then, then there's a the whole questions of epistemology from meditation experiences and what we can, uh, you know, uh, deduce from a certain meditative opening. I don't think it proves that. We would need more convincing other other kinds of experience, other phenomena, other uh, things to happen to to be more convincing that there's a possibility of consciousness without without being contained or associated with matter. But still. So again how how are we to regard all this i think i think there's value to say here now we're opening to deep provisional truths they're deeper truths but they're still provisional so in this we can talk about almost like a scale of relative truth if you like the deeper truths still provisional provisional truths experiences openings insights what's the buddha's words perception attainments and he talks about them in a scale of perception attainments the attainment the ability the achievement to perceive this or that as a level of truth if you like it but still a provisional truth not a final not an ultimate truth so that feels to me really really important how do we get there how do we how does such a place how does such a realm how does such a dimension of existence of being open up for us. So there is a number of possibilities. Um, One is simply, as usual, just hanging out in the previous jhana, in which case the realm of infinite space, just hanging out there, really getting into it, revisiting over and over, hanging out, hanging out, and it will naturally mature. It naturally matures at a certain point from the previous jhana. That would be a very normal uh, occurrence. I think I very briefly mentioned this earlier in the treat Though I think, um, though I know one teacher who disagrees with me and one teacher uh, who agrees, I think the order of ease of access through these arupa uh, jhanas, much as for some, the order of ease of access through the uh, rupa jhanas is individually variable. So I pr- I feel for me it was I felt it was easier to access. For example, to learn um, this infinite consciousness, and then the infinite space. Other people, it might be the other way around or something. But I think there is uh, individual variation here. So one teacher, I had insisted on doing them in, 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 you know, in their sort of numerical order. And, and another teacher was much less uh, less pedantic about that, less emphatic about that. But I would agree. I think there's diff- individual individual variations in tendency there. But one way, as I said, is just hanging out in the realm of infinite space and just just really, really getting into it. And it t- it when when the fruit is ripe, it ripens, it matures. Um. Then a second possibility is to to be in the realm of infinite space, to hang out there, and then at some point when it's steady, when you're really into it. When it's established, when you've got some mastery, then begin uh, becoming aware of the awareness there in that state, in that space. Um, so there's just a subtle shift uh, of of the attention and of the intention to pick up um, on that subtle sense of awareness that we that we uh, experimented with earlier today, but within the, the the realm of infinite space. So that would be a very Kind of um, straightforward way of going about it. If it needs, if it needs a little nudging. Uh, third possibility is um, any jhana, any jhana, well, any of any of the jhanas up to now. Let's say, better, easier to say, um, or even a normal state of consciousness, a non jhanic state of consciousness, and actually just what we did earlier. So, can you get a sense? Take so, so, if it's a if it's a janic state of awareness, the object of that the object of the consciousness at any time will be the primary nimitta. If it's a non janic state of awareness, it could be any um, smell, taste, uh, touch, sight, sound. Something that's m- quite steady, though. Okay, you don't want something flickering too much. Something quite steady. or it is probably easier if something's quite steady. So something you can look at, and it's not going to disappear on you. Um, or a sound that's continuous. So if I pick the heating and not, well, there are no birds right now, but pick the heating, it's more of a constant thing. And j- so, normal consciousness with a normal sense object, or any jhānic uh, consciousness with the consciousness of the primary nimitta, and then uh, noticing, tuning to, and focusing in on that sense of knowing, that sense of consciousness. So, in other words, th- this realm of infinite consciousness can be approached not from the fifth jhana not even from the fourth third second first can be approached from normal consciousness it's just a matter of tuning noticing tuning and then amplifying that very sense of consciousness and then and then it can begin to open up and open up so that's one way as well a uh, fourth way is obviously related to that but i mentioned it i think yesterday i can't remember is and the Buddha says it somewhere or other, is to he, he kind of classifies the arupa jhanas, the arupa ayatanas, as if you like perspectives on, um, on the fourth jhana. So it's really that there are not eight jhanas, but four jhanas, and the fourth one has five variations. The fourth jhana and then the four arupa jhanas. And um, so somewhere or other in the Pali canon, I, I'm pretty sure the Buddha f- frames it like that. And already uh, we said in his description, what he uh, emphasized in his description of the fourth jhana was uh, the pure awareness. The body uh, wrapped in pure awareness, or he sometimes says pure mindfulness. So it's right there in the fourth jhana. And if I pick up on that, pick up on the sense of presence, the sense of consciousness, of pure mindfulness, pure awareness, right there in the fourth jhana, the body has become that. That will open up into into the infinite consciousness uh, fifth there 's insight ways of looking that will open up um, the infinite consciousness, but they 're actually the same as what opens up infinite space. in other words, the same ones might take you to either space, either either the infinite space or the infinite consciousness. we mentioned them yesterday, and lastly, as always. With experience, with enough familiarity, enough in and out, enough, um, part of the whole deal with mastery is eventually we can access these uh, these realms or this particular realm just by subtle intention, just by remembering it, remembering that realm, remembering our experience of it. And that opens the doors, opens the doors to this divine awareness, this God's mind. Um, Again, I don't think there's any need to push or stretch it to infinity. It's more, uh, whichever way you go, I, d- I don't think that's so uh, necessary. It should, I think it will, but it should automatically just expand that way. And um, partly because there's nothing else in consciousness. There's nothing in the way. Um, n- there's nothing but infinite consciousness. And, so, and again, that could be a little, a little tincture. That if, if it's not quite stable yet, and you're, you're working to s- to consolidate, you can just drop in that nothing but infinite consciousness, and that that kind of primes. That's very very subtle. It's not like a big thinking. Very. This is an alchemical tincture one's putting into the space, just to, just to very gently uh, direct and guide the mind and support that opening out. Um, so it should go, it probably will go automatically because there is nothing in the way, really. There is nothing to limit it. Sometimes we just need to relax into it. So it is strange, it's, it is a very intense state, but there might be, as you work with it, there might be times when actually it's more, it's more relaxation is needed. And other times it is more like really honing in with the intensity on that focus on the consciousness, on the consciousness of consciousness. Um, so one can just let it expand. Um, This leaning forward business that I mentioned to you can happen, start happening actually sometimes in the third jhana, but certainly in the fourth and later. Um, This more relaxed approach may help with that because sometimes the leaning forward is again in the usual, not just intellectual construal, but sense of attention uh, placing its object, its mental object in front and then just a little bit of trying, we, we end up leaning forward because just a little bit of effort we are aiming in front of ourselves. But the more relaxed approach can open it up more evenly. So it may help with that leaning forward issue. So a lot depends on how you access this, this uh, infinite consciousness because um, yeah, if you are coming from infinite space, there is sort of nothing there to prevent it becoming infinite. It is already infinite, so it just kind of flips to a consciousness. If you are coming from, let us say, just an, a normal consciousness, um, then and, y- and then you are focusing, you are noticing the sense of consciousness, you are noticing the awareness of awareness, you are fo- tuning to that and amplifying it, then um, it may well be that other objects come in and out of the awareness as you're as you are trying to do that. And either you just stay really, really with the sense of of knowing, really, really with the sense of consciousness, um, or you somehow see, sense the other objects as consciousness. Okay. Again, the Buddha talks about escape, as we said, Nisaranam. And um, uh, again, I've still forgotten to look up the word. But he he talks um, uh, about what's often in English translated as releases of awareness. So the different jhanas, and then particularly the, the formless, uh, uh, are releases of awareness. So again, it's a realm, we're talking about a realm here, completely free, uh, completely free from, completely transcending the hassle um, of uh, and, and the reach. Completely free from and transcending the hassle and the reach of material perceptions. Sometimes the Buddha calls the for formless realms, the peaceful liberations. So that's a synonym, the peaceful liberations. And, um, and then there's passages where he talks about fully liberated beings, arahants, liberated in one way or liberated in two ways. And an arahant fully liberated being liberated in one way is just someone who's uh, gotten rid of, exterminated, expunged, all greed, hatred, and delusion. They've ended their kilesas. But an Arahant liberated in two ways is someone who also has access to these formless realms. And the Buddha has this lovely passage, um, they remain touching with their body the peaceful liberations. So their sense of, again, their whole sense of existence has has f- touching with their body something that's beyond the body and immaterial. They, they remain in the world, touching with their body the peaceful liberations. And other Arahants, other fully enlightened beings, don't, don't know these realms, they haven't developed them, they're not necessary. So there's difference. Uh, but the very, again, experientially, the very sense of release of a beyond, of realms um, beyond, that very sense can help maintain again, if, if you're working in this in this space, in this realm and it's kind of just working to really settle it at any one time, then the very sense of release and beyondness um, and escape uh, and release can can be part of what helps consolidate it in that moment. But I need to enjoy that. In other words, the very sense of this transcend the transcendence of it, the beyondness, the release of it they are slightly different things because release is I am released or this is released. Beyondness, transcendence, there is that. Um, but the enjoyment of that, the subtle enjoyment of that is again also part of the, 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 uh, the binding glue, the consolidating of uh, l- moisture, liquid of the experience. So again, such an opening, such a perception, such a revelation relativizes this this world, the world that we all agree on, this world of material forms, of things, of beings, etc. Opening to that relativizes this world. It takes its place in a series of worlds, of realms. It's not just there is this world and nothing else. It and then it relativizes our relationship with this world. And that could happen in different ways. It could, as we said before, um, become problem, to me, to, to my way of thinking, could become problematically dualistic. It can certainly become dualistic. To some people's thinking, it's rarer and rarer these days, but to some people's thinking dualism is not a problem at all. This is All this is samsara. This is not worth much. We want out. We want not to be reborn that's, I think, traditionally the, th- the thrust of Pali Canon teachings. It's much, much less common these days. Um, but uh, t- So for some people that kind of dualism is not at all a problem. Um, but I, I think it can be da- dangerous, that kind of dualism, because then how am I regarding this world? Am I caring for it? Do I love it? What's my duty to this world and others in it? What's my relationship? Have I become? Has it become problematically dualistic? Do you understand what I mean by this? Um, so it could, and for some people that's not a problem. I think there's a danger and a problem there in, in the way that I would see the whole movement of the Dharma. But um, it's much less so, much less risk of being problematically dualistic if, again, same principles as before. If we let the after effects of perception open up, if we really explore them, they become, for my, my way of, uh, what wha- I want to emphasize in teaching all this is, as I said, the after effects on perception are as significant as the pure jhānic experiences th- th- it themselves. Why? Partly because of this dualism thing, partly because it's, it's that that really changes or those after effects on perception have a big impact in our sense of this world. So, if I have the after effect on perception, the stone has consciousness, and there 's divinity radiating from everywhere, this kind of divinity um, radiating from everywhere, everything is that, then the dualism as we 've discussed before, gets evened out mm. yeah so that 's one uh, important important uh, reason second kind of level of approach in in targeting or in in uh, rehabilitating any tendency towards problematic dualism is again understanding the dependent arising and therefore the emptiness of perception, everything that I talked about the other day. This experience of the world that seven plus billion people agree upon, this experience of infinite consciousness, this experience of a subtle subtle realm world, this experience of infinite space, whatever it is, they are all dependent arisings. They all arise dependent on certain ways of looking. This world and that, this realm and that are perceptions arising dependent on different ways of looking. And understanding that uh, in the most powerful way transcends duality and gives us freedom to be dualistic when we want to be dualistic and non-dualistic when we want to be non-dualistic. As I said, there collapses any duality between, between non-duality and duality. And we are free, free with a range of looking, a w- range of ways of looking, free to move, free to give all a sense of equal sacredness. Because we have understood something about the emptiness of it all, the dependent arising of it all, because we have played with insight ways of looking, we have played with ways of looking enough to, to open that whole understanding out. So he, the Buddha also talks about these states and characterizes them as they're, they're a kind of equanimity. Okay. And certainly they're very equanimous. I mean, just the very, as I said, they're completely unperturbed, completely undisturbed. In that sense, they're, they're really equanimous. There's, there's no push-pull towards anything, uh, any other objects there, let's say. Actually, that's not quite true, but it's, it's a state of very deep equanimity. So certainly they're very calm and uh, and they are very focused. Um, but it is also true, I think, that again with experience there might be secondary background emotions. So yes, equanimous, yes, calm and all that. But somehow it might be that in the background one is jumping for joy at the same time. Um, there is wonder potentially, love, uh, peace, ecstasy, the, all these can be kind of background uh, experiences, I would say, and 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 naturally so, rightly so. And we already mentioned release and freedom. Just like the infinite space, I would really recommend practicing these with eyes open. Practicing this this realm as well with opening to this realm with eyes open, definitely. Again, looking at the sky or or the space. Um, and and letting that letting that expand maybe it goes to infinite space first and then it flips maybe you're just beginning to get the sense of consciousness in that much bigger visual space or kinesthetic space or not um so uh in other words as we as we described with with a much smaller sense not with the sky not with the space just with with any object like like the infinite space um profound sense uh and profoundly impacting sense of oneness mystical cosmic oneness um almost overwhelming in uh, in in that the perception of it that emerges both in the jhana in the sort of pure jhanic experience and in the a- after effect on perception and again this is why I so much emphasize the after effects on perception really taking that time off the cushion in a kind of much more relaxed way, walking around, cup of tea, whatever it is, and, and noticing the effects after uh, a formal practice on perception. How, d- how is now, right now, what, what's, what's happened to my perception of self, of world, of consciousness, of whatever it is, of things, of materiality, all that, and really noticing that. Um, because th- that does something very profound. The oneness can be in the jhana or in the after-effect on perception. It's a oneness. Yesterday we said the primary oneness that came that comes with the infinite space is, is a oneness of materiality, of material substance. This we are all star stuff, we are all the same Big Bang, we are really one matter, um, our bodies, etc. Um, this, in contrast, is a oneness of consciousness, it's a oneness of awareness. And uh, yeah, so, uh, one can have the sense that there's there's not really there's the appearance of separate awarenesses, separate consciousness, but actually, uh, at another level, there's one. There is one uh, divine consciousness. Of in which of which we are part, or in which we partake. When you get to soul-making dharma, there are important variants of this, and it actually gets significantly different. And I've noticed when I'm teaching Soul-Making Dharma and I say something about participating in God's mind, and sometimes people write to me and they uh, from what I read, from what they're saying, it sounds like they're they're relating or they're hearing what I said uh, in a Soul-Making Dharma context, they're hearing this this oneness of awareness is actually something different in a soul-making diamond. There are more variants and and more subtlety and more allowances for the individual particularity. God's awareness needs my awareness, my particular awareness, my particular dukkha, my particular ways that my mind works and yours, your particularities, your foibles, your struggles. And That's different than it's just there is one awareness, a simple, pure, clean awareness that uh, somehow uh, we will participate in. So there's significant differences there, but this is not a soul-making retreat, but just for those of you who are interested. Um, the oneness, technically, I suppose, again, is a secondary nimitta. The primary nimitta is the consciousness. The oneness, I mean, in a way they'll get completely fused at times, of course, um, but technically it's a secondary nimitta. So, we should focus primarily as always on primarily most of the time on the consciousness, and the oneness will it will come um, uh, it will come it will also arise just later you know just naturally in the after effects of perception you can trust that so you don't even though in some ways you could say perhaps one of the most significant and most impactful and most potent and most transformative um, perceptions and and Knowings and digestions here is the very sense of oneness um, still we don't need to probably most people don't need to go looking for it. You can trust that it will arise and it will it will do its work. Of course, there are always exceptions, but I would say that um, so again, same deal with mastery all the all the little tricks of the trade and the little things that we play same deal, going for walks and all that. And just to emphasise, you know, I don't know, I don't know how all well this sounds, but it's really just a matter of training. So when we talked yesterday about the fifth, fifth genre of in infinite space, and or even today, you know, yesterday with with the infinite space, we said, you know, looking at an object. That we would usually sense in the very looking at, so even though i 'm not touching it, my sense in the looking is of solidity, that would be the normal sense of it, and then seeing and sensing um, physical objects, material objects as space, seeing and sensing them as not solid, and staying with that, so getting that sense and then staying with that and, and infinite space can open up from that from. What's basically um, if I if I sustain it? What's basically then a training of the different elements here? Can I can I flip so I can so I can see what I usually sense as solid? Can I flip the perception so that I sense it as space as not solid? And then can I sustain that? And then can I allow that to open? These are all just elements of a training. Just what is it? Training the perception of space. I'm training the perception of space. Space is not something. That we usually pay attention to. Usually, we're basically addicted or imprisoned, or hab- habitually we pay attention to objects in space. We very rarely, and even if an architect or something talks about paying attention to space, it's not quite the same thing. What they really mean is a, a, a geometry that. Uh has shapes in space. That actual space itself is not something that human beings habitually pay attention to. So we're training a perception, training an ability of what's more a more refined perception. But the point I want to make is it's all training, just the training of perceptions, and the training has slightly different elements in it. And how many suttas are there where the Buddha says, um, and he's describing some meditation and and describing a monk doing this, and that thus he trains himself and then a little bit of thus he trains himself thus he trains himself it's just training and what that means is it's possible it's available so again even the thing we did earlier today can you get a sense of of the o- the awareness of awareness can you get can you become aware of awareness in the moment in the moment and then can you sustain that and can you focus in on it and can you let it amplify and then can you let that expand? Well, it's all training. It's just training, and what that means to me—it's an important word because it means it's totally possible. It's totally available. Okay, and I don't know how it sounds, but it's—we're really talking about something, um, you know, majestic in its grandeur, un, un, uh, unfathomable in its in its beauty and wonder and depth and sublimity and dimensionality and divinity but also that in in another sense, or at the same very same time, is just a training. Yes, it's very rare, and even rarer, as I said, than the vastness of awareness, but it's just a training. It's rare just because people have not been taught or don't sustain their their journey of, of uh, working towards it, playing towards it. So it's possible and available if, if, we get our desire, our relationship with desire, right? All this, and so I just keep coming back to that. Can talk about blah 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 and all this great-sounding stuff, but if the relationship with desire isn't, if I don't understand myself in relationship to desire, I don't understand what I'm bringing in or what is brought into my desires at different times and how I relate to that. Not just in this moment, but over time, sustain in a sustained way for a retreat, but also ye- for years, months and years. If It is possible and available if, if I have that fundamental inquiry and understanding and right relationship with desire. And, I think, if I bring a kind of intelligence to my working and playing, and by intelligence I don't mean scholarship, I've said that before, nor do I mean something really intellectual. I don't mean that at all. I mean everything that we've emphasized, the flexibility, the responsiveness, the attunement, the um, coherent conceptual framework of what am I doing and why and where is it going and how does this fit into where I'm going, because that larger, bigger, that bigger picture, conceptual framework, will um, should guide me in my momentary choices and momentary emphases. So if that's askew, or I haven't kind of got a coherent one, or it doesn't make sense, or if I'm trying to trying to work towards this jhana, but actually my I haven't I'm I'm labouring under the umbrella of a, a, a conceptual framework that doesn't really support it, or emphasising emphasises an aspect like. Um how long can I stay on one object we 've talked about this before that i 'm emphasizing something that's actually just going to capsize the boat and not let this boat de- deliver uh, deliver me to where it where I want to go so if there 's the right relationship with desire and inquiry into that in the open that 's the hard thing you know that 's not an easy thing that 's a big that 's a big ask and it 's more fundamental and if there 's this intelligent what I mean by intelligent work and play, then these things are really possible and available. They're just trainings. They're just trainings. So last thing about desire, and someone wrote a note, uh, a couple of people wrote a note, in fact. Um, So again, it's just a small thing for people who are already familiar with soul-making dharma, Um, just very briefly. We talked about this, the importance and the absolute necessity of having a helpful view of the self on the path a helpful view of the practitioner self and in soul making we talk about um fantasies of the path fantasies of the self on the path and i've talked about that several times in in other soul making uh, in, in soul making retreats over the last years i can't remember where but it's there um and some a couple of people were asking, "Yeah, but okay, but when you 're on a jhana retreat, for example or let's say it's an emptiness retreat or let's say it's a meta retreat or it's a themed retreat, and it's not a soul making themed retreat, how do I relate to this whole idea of fantasy? How can I work with the whole idea of fantasy because I'm supposed to be doing jhana practice i 'm supposed to be an emptiness practice or whatever it is so um a fantasy is something, as I said, that's almost—I I use it as a, as a word—something in the background, something in the background. It's a background kind of imaginal narrative, if you like, or semi-narrative, mm, but it, but it, but it in fact has eternal, an et- eternality to it. But it's in in a narrative f- appearance, if you like. But it's in the background. Um, and what can happen, or what we can do sometimes, is bring that. When we notice that fantasy, we can bring it into the foreground and and work on it with our imaginal practice. In other words, what was fantasy in the background becomes image in the foreground, and then we work and play with uh, with that image. And of course, it might be an image of myself, so that is what we are working with. So, a glimpse of fantasy in the corner of my eye when things are going really well, when I am into practice, when I am inspired a glimpse of the fantasy, and then if I want, I can bring that to the foreground and work on it um, in, in a sort of conscious, deliberate, imaginal practice. Um, but then, once you've done that, it can go to the background again. Um, so that's that's one, one way of doing it. Or, you might find there's no fantasy, actually, there's just dukkha. I'm just stuck here. I just I'm hitting my head against a brick wall. I feel completely contracted or imprisoned or whatever it is. Um, There is no fantasy. Or what there is, is a self-view that's not an imaginal fantasy, it's an impoverishment and it's a rarefied self-view that's painful. Then, as I said yesterday, then what I have to do is I have to go through that dukkha. I have to go right to the middle of the dukkha and feel the dukkha of it and feel the pain of it. I have to hold it in certain ways. I cannot approach it just with simple mindfulness. Simple mindfulness will drain the self out, and drain the story out. Very useful at times, but here we want a certain kind of, a certain kind of crucible, a certain kind of holding which allows the self to be there, and the dukkha, and the story, but allows them to, to alchemically reconfigure or, or arise differently um, in a much more helpful way. So through the dukkha and through the very heat of the dukkha and the material of the dukkha, in that crucible, if I hold it right in my imaginal practice, then an image of the self and an image of the path will arise. Um, and then that can go to the background. Okay, If if this is all in the context of a jhana retreat, or an emptiness retreat, or a metta retreat, and not a soul-making retreat, it can go to the background. In other words, we only use these fantasies, we only bring them to the foreground, as much and when they are needed, otherwise they can stay in the background. And from the background, they quietly but powerfully do their work um, in the, in their subtle, half-hidden, almost, uh, um, what's the word, subliminal way from the background. So you bring it forward or you f- concentrate on your dukkha and allow the image to become primary only when you need it. Um, a bit like using insight ways of looking on a jhana retreat, if an insight way of looking is not your base or springboard practice. For some people, it is, and that's fine, they're doing that all the time. For other people, it's sort of almost last in the list of things to do when mm, something feels stuck. I try this, I try imagining, I try breathing through, I try this and this and this, I try, etc. Last on the list, maybe, is an insight way of looking, but I'm just taking something else, bringing it into uh, primacy for a certain time for the sake of lubricating and opening up the jhanic path now on this retreat where there's a, uh, a, an intention and an intention to stay constant with my intention and on a certain path. And I bring it, and when it does its work, I can let it go again, unless it's my, primary, uh, my base practice. So we only use it... Um, kind of when w- when we've tried everything else which hasn't helped does that make sense yeah okay so let's let's um let's sit quietly for a bit time for tea now.